Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, the sound you hear is a buzzsaw ripping through a painting of George Washington chopping down cherry trees. It's time for Professor Buzzkill. Busting myths and taking names. Yes, it's me, Buzz Killers, your favorite professor, here to talk about the nuclear button. It seems that every time there's an election in the United States, and especially when there's, uh, shall we say, a non-traditional candidate, this question comes up. Are the candidates temperamentally fit to have the power to push the nuclear button or to be trusted with the nuclear codes? The problem is journalists and commentators use those phrases as if there was one actual button that the president would push. But Buzzkill Institute researchers decided to examine the history and the myths and the misconceptions about the nuclear button to find out the real story and to try to understand whether and how we're spared a Dr. Strangelove-type situation. You remember that great 1964 political satire film by Stanley Kubrick, Buzzkillers? An unhinged Air Force General, Jack Ripper, is able to skirt the various fail-safes in place and launch a nuclear attack on the Soviet Union. One of the central plot points in Dr. Strangelove is that General Ripper is able to lock the nuclear code sequence given to his bomber pilots and therefore prevent the U.S. president and the Joint Chiefs from recalling the planes and stop the attack. Now, Amid all the black comedy and great acting, the central message of Cold War egos out of control comes through very, very clearly in Dr. Strangelove. The nuclear button is really a highly complex system of communication and codes established to ensure that any order to launch a nuclear attack is actually coming from the president himself and hasn't been schemed or invented by someone else. Despite being called a button, it isn't a single button that starts the whole process going. Even in its portable form, that is the nuclear football that stays with the president when he travels, the button consists not only of a black book containing target choices, strategic and retaliatory options, but also a small plastic card nicknamed, and I'm not kidding, buzzkillers, the biscuit that has printed on it the gold codes required to authenticate a nuclear attack order. The president is supposed to carry the biscuit with him at all times. Well, what's the history behind the nuclear button and the nuclear football? Like so many other things about nuclear war, the ways in which the United States, anyway, has set up the nuclear button and the nuclear football date to the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962. 
Although there had been extensive nuclear command structures in place under Truman and Eisenhower, the Cuban Missile Crisis had revealed weaknesses in both the American and Soviet controls designed to prevent nuclear launch mistakes. Kennedy apparently thought it was too easy for missiles to be launched without having direct and personal orders from the president himself that could be confirmed. That confirmation is very important, Buskiller. So he asked the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Defense Department some very pointed questions about the verification process of nuclear strike orders. Systems were then designed and implemented, based on Kennedy's queries, to try to avoid mistakes creeping into the process, either for initiating a nuclear attack or responding to one. The codes and procedures for the nuclear button and the nuclear football were created as a way to make sure that the orders to launch a nuclear strike or counterattack were actually coming from the president and not some kind of imposter or lower-ranking official like General Ripper, Dr. Strangelove. Again, the crucial thing to remember here, Buzzkillers, is that the codes and fail-safes for launching nuclear weapons are all based around confirming the identity of the president, not whether the president is acting sanely and rationally when giving the orders to launch. The only exception would be if Section 4 of the 25th Amendment of the Constitution were invoked. The 25th Amendment allows the vice president, along with majority of cabinet or majority of Congress, to declare the president disabled or unfit to execute the duties of office. But this, of course, could be applied at any time, not just in a nuclear emergency. Okay, if we presume that the president hasn't been declared unfit and he's actually still president, what actually happens when the nuclear button is pushed? Well, there are two basic situations where a nuclear attack is ordered by the president. One, obviously, is in response to an attack from a foreign power, and the other is a first strike attack. The crucial difference is the amount of time between the president making the decision in his own mind and the actual orders going out. And of course, Whatever sorts of influences, questions, and debates occur in the president's inner circle of military and civilian advisors, those might make a difference. The proverbial phone call in the middle of the night is the most worrying scenario. If the president is awakened by such a phone call or by an aide and told that nuclear missiles have been launched against the United States, he has very little time in which to react. If land-based missiles are launched from Russia or China, they can reach their targets in the United States, including, by the way, the Buzzkill Bunker, within 30 minutes. Not much time for the president to clear his sleepy head and get in contact with his top military advisors. If, however, the missiles were launched from Russian submarines lurking in the Atlantic, they might reach their targets in the eastern United States anyway in 12 minutes. Even less time, Buzzkillers. This is the potential nightmare scenario. Since the president has absolute authority to launch a strike or counterstrike, and if the 12-minute clock is ticking, there's almost no time for advisors or cabinet members to weigh in with their options. And so the only thing hanging in the balance is, again, that confirmation that the person sending the order down the chain of command is actually the president. That's where the nuclear codes come in. I'll explain the attack options that the president has in a minute. But in this counter-strike situation, it's almost certain that the president would choose one of the major attack options from his list of choices in the Black Book. The president then contacts the National Military Command Center, also known as we know it, in the, as the War Room, in the Pentagon, and he does so on a secure line, either from the White House or from the nuclear football if he's traveling. Now, here's where the two-man rule that you might have heard of comes in, Buzzkillers. 
The senior officer in the Pentagon's war room issues a challenge code to the person calling in on the secure line, which is supposedly the president, to make sure that it really is the president. That challenge code may be no longer than two letters from the military alphabet. For instance, the officer might read out Papa Bravo, PB. Then the president would take the code card called, again, I can't believe this, The Biscuit, crack open the protective plastic coating, pull out the card, and respond with the code that matches Papa Bravo. Juliet Charlie, JC, for instance. But (laughs) the officer in the Pentagon isn't the second man in the two-man rule scenario. That second man is the Secretary of Defense. Now, his or her role in this situation is solely to verify that the order came from the president and not from someone else. I keep saying this over and over and over, but this is absolutely the crucial thing. The defense secretary has no veto power over the decision. They don't have to agree, the president and the defense secretary. He just confirms that it is a presidential order. There's another round of code verification so that the Pentagon officer gets confirmation of the secretary of defense's confirmation, so to speak. And then... The military takes over. I want to talk about that after this word from our sponsor. You know, Buzzkillers, I keep saying this, but it's so true. We're so pleased that this podcast and the Buzzkill Institute are sponsored by Harry's Razors. I've been a Harry's customer for almost two years now, long before they started sponsoring us. One of the reasons I went to Harry's is that I got sick to death of the big ripoff razor companies making tiny changes in their blade, coming out with this supposed latest version and raising their already high prices. Harry's doesn't do that. Harry's charges a fraction of what those big ripoff razor companies charge, and they mail the blades right to you on the schedule that you set up with your membership. I can't decide what I like best, either the fact the fact that they're affordable and they come right to me, or that the fact that the razors are so great. They've got a soft flex hinge for more comfortable glide, trimmer blade that I use all the time for hard-to-reach places, lubricating strip, and a nice chunky handle that you can actually control, especially when it's wet. Their prices are still just $2 a blade compared to the more than $4 or more that you pay for those ripoff razors that are no good at the drugstore. The guys at Harry's do this because they own the factory in Germany where they make the blades. They sell the blades online themselves for half the price of what you get elsewhere. But more importantly, they've got a special offer for you buzzkillers out there. They'll send you their popular trial set for free when you go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. The free trial set includes a razor, five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel. You just pay a tiny amount, $3 or something, for the shipping. Plus, just for my listeners, enter the code BUZZKILL, B-U-Z-Z-K-I-L-L, at checkout, and you'll get their post-shave bomb for free. You'll love it. The post-shave bomb is great. Lady BuzzKill likes it. You'll look better, and your face will feel better all day when you use it. Of course, your subscription plan is customizable in terms of shipping frequency. Of course, you can cancel at any time. I wouldn't allow a sponsor to pay us money <laughs> with, a, with a deal that wasn't at least offered those things. So let me repeat. Go to harrys.com and enter the code buzzkill at checkout. You'll get a great razor, blades, shave cream, and the post-shave balm for free. Do it now. Enjoy a whole new world of better and more affordable shaves. harrys.com, code at buzzkill, checkout. And now back to the ticking clock and the nuclear button. 
Well, that was certainly a passionate ad read for Harry's Razors. I think down in the advertising department, they think the missiles are already on the way and you better get your order in before the end of the world. We're going to examine the myths and misunderstandings about how nuclear missiles are actually launched by the military in an immediate response scenario that I talked about before the ad in a minute. But right now, let me go over what happens when the president decides to make a first strike. In almost all circumstances, where the United States would decide to launch nuclear weapons first, there would be a lot more time involved than obviously a counterstrike. This doesn't mean that an intemperate and or petulant president couldn't decide to launch a first strike without putting much thought or contemplation into the decision. He could, and it would unfold very much like the counterstrike process I talked about before the ad. But that's unlikely to happen because of custom, tradition, and the large number of advisors and other government officials in close proximity and in close consultation with the president more or less all the time. A likely scenario would be this. Some international incident, series of incidents, or a war the United States is engaged in becomes bad enough that the president decides that using nuclear weapons is vital for the security of the United States. Again, the president has the sole authority to make such an order, but almost certainly wouldn't without extensive consultation from his top military and civilian advisors. Now, the most important of these meetings and consultations would take place in the White House Situation Room. And let's assume for the sake of argument that cabinet members and top military brass vigorously debate the situation and the question of whether to launch a nuclear first strike. The president would let this debate last only as long as he wished it to last. He may be convinced not to launch a strike, but if he decides to launch a strike, it doesn't matter what his advisors say. It doesn't matter how many disagree with him or how many may resign on the spot. The 1962 debates inside the White House over options in responding to the discovery of Soviet missiles in Cuba went on for several days. But once the president decides to launch a nuclear attack, the protocol I talked about earlier would start. After a deliberative decision to attack first, however, the president most likely would choose one of the following attack options, major, selected, or limited. A major attack option is an all-out assault on a targeted country, including major population centers, industrial hubs, and military sites. A selected attack option is a pared-down plan that focuses on a few crucial military and civilian targets, and a limited attack option would concentrate on a small number of targets, probably military installations that contain nuclear weapons and things like that. These attack options and the targets and all that stuff are worked out well in advance and are printed on a kind of a menu of options that the president chooses from. The order is then sent to the Pentagon War Room. They prepare it to go out to the specific launch crews, and they encode and encrypt the order down to about 150 characters, which, if you can remember, is not much longer than a tweet. The order message goes out to American military centers around the world in order to keep them informed, but specifically addressed to the launch crews needed to handle the attack option the president selected. All this would happen quickly, within about two minutes. Now, nuclear missiles in land silos and in submarines are controlled by launch crews. Each crew must authenticate the order by opening a safe and comparing the launch codes sent in the order with the launch codes they already have in case there's an attack message. If those codes match, the launch crews target their missiles according to the instructions in the order. In a submarine, the order is authenticated by the captain, the executive officer, and two others designated by the captain. 
and then they launched their missiles by simultaneously turning their launch keys in the submarine's launch computer. There are five land-based centers for nuclear missiles in the United States, and a similar procedure happens there. All five crews turn their launch keys at the same time, which sends an automatic signal to the silos to launch the missiles. And they're off. As we heard in our Cuban Missile Crisis episode last year, there were instances where at least one Soviet submarine received faulty orders to launch its missiles. The captain was skeptical because the messages seemed to be a mistake, and he didn't order the launch. But nowadays, a legitimate order that's been authenticated as coming from the president is very likely to launch the missiles without any second-guessing in submarines or in land-based silos. I talked about five keys being turned at the same time. Well, only two of the launch keys need to send their signal in order to send the automated order to the missiles for launch. Two out of five. So if three refuse to do it and two, and two follow the order, it goes through. Well, how close has the button come to being pushed in the past? Well, only once and then not very close. In the middle of the night, on the 9th of November 1979, early warning signals at military bases in Colorado went off, alerting the officers that there was a Soviet nuclear missile attack and had been launched. President Carter's national security advisor, Brzezinski, was called twice to tell him that the U.S. was under Soviet nuclear attack. The first call told him that the attack had been launched, and the second call, almost immediately after the first one, told him that the attack was massive. All the correct codes were exchanged to verify the call, and Brzezinski was about to notify the president when a third call came through to tell him that the attack alert had been a mistake. And it was both human and technical errors that caused that alert mistake. A tape training exercise that simulated nuclear attack from the USSR was mistakenly run in the nuclear attack early warning system. This set off all the other warnings, and standard procedures proceeded from there. Now, since then... Further reporting, early warning confirmation, and fail-safe procedures were put in place, and of course, defense specialists here, you'll be glad to know, at the Buzzkill Bunker were updated on all the new codes. But if the missiles are actually ever launched buzzkillers, you won't have much time left. So remember what St. Stephen of Stills taught us. Love the one you're with. Talk to you next week. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.